Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you here, and welcome for those of you who are outside watching, as well as uh, those of you who are watching at home. You know, I know I've sh- uh, shared this story with you before, but I think it fits perfectly in the sermon. I had my first real girlfriend when I was probably in seventh grade, between seventh and eighth grade. And I don't know how this happened, but she was probably one of the prettiest girls in the school. So, of course, I'm on cloud nine. But the problem was that drew attention of a lot of guys. And one of the guys who actually liked her was a member of the gang called the Watchings. And he thought I swooped in and tried to take her away from him. And so I had a best friend named Alan, and Alan was born in Hong Kong, and he was incredibly ripped for a seventh grader, but he was kind of like connected. And he said, Dave, you got to watch out. These guys are coming for you, okay? They're coming, and they want to hurt you, you know, because they think you took this guy's girlfriend away, and I go, she never liked him. But you tell, try telling her watching that, you know, they don't care. Right, So I remember every day I'd have to pick her up, walk to her um, class, take, and then I would walk her home. And then all of a sudden he would say, Dave, they're really coming for you. And so the two of us would have to go to her, you know, six period, pick her up, and both of us would have to walk her home. And we would just rush her home, right? And then I remember it was getting really bad. And he came to school one day, and he had this thing. And it was just in this cloth. And he goes, Dave, you might, want to, you might need this. And so he opened it up, and it was a gun. And could you imagine a seventh grader? And he, I could remember it. It was silver with a brown handle. And I remember picking it up, and I go, wow, this thing is heavy. And he goes, Dave, they're coming for you. You might want to use this for your protection. You know, and something told me inside that, you know, I don't want a gun, you know. And and so I told him, no, I don't want, I don't need this. If they harm me, then so be it, you know, because I was this really scrawny, skinny kid, you know. And so, um, but then as time went on, of course, we broke up, and then they left me alone. And then I went to uh, high school, and there was this, you know, I, I wasn't the guy who caused trouble, but for some reason, trouble always found me. And so there was this gang there called the Marshall Homeboys, right? And they were all driving cars, and they were, they're the ones that they all had guns in the car. And um, one time I heard that um, there was this rumor going around that said I was telling everybody that one of their girlfriends got an abortion, okay? Now, I have seen... Those guys beat up guys for just liking one of their girlfriends. I actually saw it where they had a guy on the ground and they were just kicking him, stomping on him and just doing all of these things like five guys against one until the teachers came and broke it up. And I said, man, if they do that to a guy who just likes their girlfriend, and this is when I was in ninth grade, what do you think they're going to do to me for saying that? Right, and I, said, and, I said, and I had just become a Christian, and I said, you know, this is great. But once again, my friend Alan knew they hang out, hung out at McDonald's. So he went to McDonald's one time, and he saw them hanging down. He just stared at them and sat down looking at them, and he had a baseball bat. And he just got his baseball bat, and he just slammed it on the table and just stared them down. 
you know, they didn't, you know, mess with me at that time. Why? Because they knew that Alan had my back. He was my best friend at the time, and he always had my back. You know, he, was there, he always protected this small, skinny, scrawny kid, me. And even though um, <laughs> I had gang people after me, there was a sense of relief and um, security knowing that he had my back. And today we're going to talk about there's this one person who has your back all the time, and we need not be afraid, and that's Jesus. Jesus always has our back. And as we've you know, been going through Romans 8, we've been trying to, um, like I've been communicating, that we're trying to create a culture of discipleship. And that starts with having this gr- uh, firm foundation of who God is in relation to us as his children. And so many of us have this warped image of God. And if we have this warped image of God, um, what we're going to do, it's going to affect the way we live our faith, and it's going to affect the way that we um, um, teach others about the faith. That God is not this angry God that's out to get us. That God, Jesus, is a God that has your back all the time. But before we start, we've been going through one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And I would just want to recap in this just one chapter how many blessings there are for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And the first one is, there is no condemnation for believers. God does not condemn you. And so once again, as I say this, if you're hearing these voices in your head that's condemning you, I guarantee you that's not coming from God. That's either coming from Satan or coming from yourself. Because the Bible makes it clear that God does not condemn those who are his children. And then the second part we see in Romans 8, 4, is that we are given the righteousness of God. Do you know that you are as righteous as God himself? And I know some of you think that's heresy. But the Bible tells us that. Not because of what you've done, but what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And because Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, God what? He impudiated his righteousness to us because of the work of Christ. We were given spiritual life and have peace with God. Romans 8, 6 to 10. Before we were spiritually dead and we were enemies of God. But now... We are spiritually alive and have peace with God. We have the promise of a physical resurrection, that after we die, this isn't it, that there are, our bodies are going to be resurrected. I don't know if you've, been go- you've gone to some funerals, and they're just so, I would call, depressing, because the whole um, talk or the whole subject matter of the whole funeral is centered around the person's past and present, but there's nothing about the future. God has given us a future. And then also in Romans 8.15, we were adopted into God's family, and we are now his children, and we can call him what? Abba, Father, or Papa, or Daddy, a term of endearment. You know, so many of us, you know, are afraid of God, and God is saying, hey, call me Daddy. Call me Papa. That's the relationship I want to have you. We are co-heirs with Christ. And the Bible says that in the end, Christ is going to be glorified by the Father for what he did. And Christ is going to get everything. But as co-heirs, what does that mean for us? That we're going to get everything along with them because we are co-heirs of Christ. Romans 18, 
8.18 says, Our current sufferings can't even be compared to the glory we will experience in heaven. One day when we get to heaven, it's going to be just so wonderful. All of the problems we have, no matter how bad they are right now, no matter how severe they are, and yes, they might be, they can't even be compared to that one day when we're going to go to heaven. It says in 8.23, we will receive new bodies which are incapable of sin and indestructible. One day we're going to have bodies that are perfect in every way that will last for all eternity. Romans 8.26-27, since we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf in accordance to God's will. How many times have we prayed for things and God's is probably just shaking his head? He goes, man, you don't even know what you're asking for. But don't worry. The Holy Spirit's got your back too. The Holy Spirit is praying for each one of us every second of the day in accordance what? With God's will. Why? Because God will only answer prayers in accordance to God's will. He does not answer selfish prayers. He doesn't answer prayers that are just for our personal benefit. He answers prayers that are only in line with his will. Why? Because his will is perfect. And his will is perfect um, for us. Also, God causes every experience to work for good in the life of the believer, Romans 8.28, right? No matter what happens to us, the good, the bad, the ugly, God promises that good is going to come out of that for all those who love Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 30 and 33, it says, God has declared us not guilty for all time. He has justified us. He's declared us not guilty. That's why there's no condemnation. That's why God doesn't condemn us. Why? Because he's declared us not guilty. He's called us. He's justified us. And he glorified us, Romans 8, 30. It says, God, Romans 8, 31, God is always for us and never against us, right? Romans 8.32, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Romans 8.33, no charges will ever be brought against us. No matter how many times you sin, there will be no charges that will ever be brought against us because God has declared us not guilty for all time. God is the district attorney who will not let our case be pleaded at the great white throne. Remember last week I talked about the great white throne. This is where God pronounces judgment on the unbelievers. And he says, the book of life's open. He says, if your name is not written in the book of life, what? The sentence is eternal death in hell, separated from God. But you know what? God's our DA. And he said, for all of you who are God's children, your case is not going to be pleaded at the great white throne. Instead, Jesus, who is our brother, will reward us at the believer's judgment. Man, this is just one chapter. Just one chapter of the Bible. Do you see all of the blessings? I, I, mean, I hope that excites you. I hope that changes your view of God. That God's not this angry God who's waiting to punish you. Read Romans 8. This is just one chapter of the Bible. 
And it tells you how many blessings that we have as believers. And so today, we're going to, basically we have two left. One we're going over today, and then next week, Michael will be sharing probably one of the greatest blessings in Romans 8.28. My mother's favorite verse. His grandmother's favorite verse. And even though... You know, she's not here today. I believe she's in heaven, and she was able to see me preach my first sermon, and she'll be able to see her grandson preach on her favorite verse. But today, we're going to look at Romans 8.34. So please turn with me to that if you have your Bible. It says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It says, if God is for us, you know, who could be against us, right? You know, somehow we all believe that we know God's standards, and you, some of us, you know, know that we miss that mark every single day, right? And somehow we think that, okay, God's displeased with us, that God's no longer for us, that God is just going to punish us for what we've done. But when we see this, it says Jesus is at the right hand interceding for us. Did you know that two of the three members of the Trinity are interceding for us every second of the day? The Holy Spirit says, man, we don't even know what to pray for. So he's interceding for us on our behalf. And Jesus is also interceding for us on our behalf. You know, Every sin that we commit, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father saying, I paid for that one on the cross. That one's been covered every time we sin. Every thought that you thought on the way to church today, Jesus is saying, hey, I paid for that one. That one's covered. Every argument, if you got in an argument with your spouse today and said something that you shouldn't have, Jesus said, I covered that. Whatever you did today and for all time, Jesus is at the right hand of God saying, you know, I covered that. That's been paid for. But how else is Jesus interceding for us? And we see this in the real Lord's Prayer. And I'm not talking about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, that's the one where Jesus taught us how to pray. We're going to take a look at Jesus and what his prayer looked like. And At this time, Jesus' earthly ministry was just about over. Soon he would be tried, convicted, and he would go to the cross. And because his time on earth was ended, he prays for his disciples and for future believers. And this is what I believe Jesus is praying for us today. This is what he's doing as he's also interceding for us on the right hand of as he's at the right hand of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 17, starting with verse 9. And Jesus says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Right now, Jesus is talking about the disciples when he's talking about them. He said, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. And basically, what is our our role as believers? Our ultimate role as believers is to bring glory to God. 
And how does he, how do we bring glory to God if that's what our ultimate thing? And, and part of it is to say is that we need to show the world that we were changed from people who were just wanted to do our own thing to people who couldn't care less about God, who, who couldn't care less about what God valued into people who were redeemed worshipers and believers of God, which is a miracle of God's grace and salvation, meaning we used to live in this world. We used to live with this world's values, but no longer we choose to live for God and for him alone. And that's how we glorify God. In verse 11, it says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you've given, you gave me, none have, has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. So what's... What's, what does, how does one way that Jesus intercedes for us? Well, he prays for us. He prays for our protection. He is praying for our protection. Not so much our physical protection all the time. Because we think that if Jesus is praying for our protection, we are going to be protected from harm. All you have to do is take a look at Scripture and see that's not true. How many people who suffered for the cause of Christ. That we know that History tells us that all of the disciples, except for the Apostle John, they were all executed. But what does Jesus protect us from? Well, there's a spiritual battle going on. This is not here, but could you jot down Ephesians 6.12? It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Basically, what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. And yes, it might be. We, flug, we struggle against our flesh and the desires of the flesh. But he's saying there's a spiritual battle going on here that we can't even see. That God and his angels are behind the scene protecting us. Because Satan, if he had his will, would try to wipe every single Christian off the face of the earth. Right? And that's his goal. But God, Satan could only do what God allows him to do. And we saw that in the book of Job, where Satan wanted to take Job out, but God says, you could do this, and you can't go any further. And this is what God does for us. He protects us. He's telling Satan and all of his demonic hosts that you can only do this to Pastor Dave, but you could do no more than that. So why does God allow Satan to even do that for us? Well, part of it is God uses trials to help us grow our faith. And it's through these things that God causes good to happen when even when we are attacked by Satan. Because it causes us to what? Draw near to him. And God uses these things, these hard things, these attacks from Satan to help us grow spiritually. Right, He protects us. And like I said, when I was, first came to Christ, I lost all of my friends except pretty much for Alan. And man, I had this gang coming after me. Right, And so one day when I thought I was free and clear, I'm walking out of school, and then I see them, and I see her. 
and she comes to me, and she totally backs me up against the fence. I had nowhere to go, and there's about six of the homeboys just making this semicircle around me. And I go, okay, this is it. I'm dead, right? And so she just looks at me, and she goes, hey, I hear you've been saying some stuff about me. Well, she didn't use the word stuff. She used another word. Um, And I just looked at her and said something like, I don't even know you. Why would I be saying stuff about you? And she looked at me and she said, okay. And she turned around and walked away. And all those six guys walked away. And I said, whoo, God was protecting me, right? Because I was all alone. I was just a baby Christian. But I think God had to teach me, was trying to teach me a lesson. That Dave, I could protect you. That you don't need a gun, and as great a friend as Alan was with his baseball bat, you don't need him to protect you that I've got you in this particular case. And he did. Right? And I, couldn't, I, I don't understand it, how they, she just said, okay, and they all just walked away without me. And I thought I was going to the hospital or the morgue, one of the two. Um, but God, Jesus prays for our, our protection. But he also goes on and says, verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, and they too may truly be sanctified. Now when you hear this fancy word sanctified, usually that means becoming more and more like Christ. So when you say, I'm being sanctified, that's just a spiritual, big theological term to say that I'm becoming more like Christ. However, in this um, um, uh, passage here, it's used more as the word holy, that we are holy, that we are set apart for a purpose. And what Jesus said is, you know, I gave myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they may, may be holy or set apart by their truth. And so Jesus prayed for us to understand and live our lives according to his word. And that's what Jesus is doing every single day. He's praying that we understand God's word and that we live by our words. Why? Because our actions are no longer dictated by the world's standard or values, but of the truth of the Bible. Because Jesus said, his word is truth. Not the philosophy of this world. Not the values of the world. Not the motivation of this world. That Jesus, God's word, is truth. Now, we don't have to perfectly obey God's word, because you know we don't, right? But you know, remember Paul in verse 7 Chapter 7 in Romans 7, he's saying, man, I'm struggling with the things about living out my faith. He goes, the things I know that God doesn't want me to do, man, I'm doing those things. But the things I know that God wants me to do, man, I'm not doing those things. This is the Apostle Paul who struggles, and he was a mature Christian at that time, right? But then Paul, you know why Paul struggled? Because Paul's life mission was to live out God's word in his life. He cared about that. That was his purpose. And this is why we struggle. But then there are so many times when we don't struggle because we're just indifferent. You know, we don't care. You know, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just going to do my own thing. But the reason we struggle is because we understand that God's word's truth. 
and that we are to live by that truth. And when we don't, it bothers us. And when people, you know, come to me and say, you know, hey, Pastor Dave, man, I'm struggling. I keep messing up. And one of the things I tell them, at least you struggle. Because when you struggle, that shows that God's word means something to you. I said, I'd be more concerned if you didn't struggle. I'd be more concerned if it didn't bother you. But the fact that you are struggling shows that you are trying to live by God's word. And he says, my prayer, now he goes to believers. That first part he was praying for his disciples, which I believe applies to us. And he, he, he talks about he's praying for future believers, for us. And he goes, my prayer is uh, not for them alone, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. And so the final thing that we see Jesus praying for is Jesus prays for believers to live in unity with the triune God. So what is he talking about, living unity with the triune God? Where, you know, the, the God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they live in a perfect relationship where they are in one mind, right? And what are some of the things they are united in that I th- believe that Jesus wants us to be united in? There are many things, but I'm just going to talk about three. One, the triune God is united in mission, that at the heart of God, he wants to redeem this world. That's why he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that I, to obey all that I have taught you, right? The mission, They are united in truth, that God's word is absolute truth. And it's their goal, it's their desire as the triune God that we all understand and live by the truth, that we are not deceived by what this world says. And finally, they are all united in perfect love, that they want us to be united in loving God and loving people. So I ask you, how do your prayers align with what Jesus is praying for, your life, all right? You know, young people, do you know that Jesus is praying for you every day? You know, he's praying that he says, I've given you gifts. I've given you talents. I've given you passions that I want you to use to go make disciples of all nations, that I want you to be able to have a career where you could know my truth and live it out in your workplace so people could see that. I want you to be able to go to that workplace and love me and love your fellow co-workers. That's what Jesus is praying for you about every single day. He's not praying that you would have a lot of money so you could live a comfortable life, so you could have all the things you ever wanted. That's not what he's praying for. 
His prayer for you is so much better for that, for you than that. For those of you who are single, right? You know, he's praying that you will find that significant other, that together you could go make disciples of all nations, that you could teach people to live out God's truth, that you as a couple would be part of something larger than yourself, that, he would, that you would learn God's word together as a couple and be able to live out God's word as a couple. That's what he's praying for you. And that you as a couple would be able to love God and love others as a couple. He's not praying that you find your prince charming or your dream princess. Right? That's not what he's praying. His prayer for you is so much better. You know? And those of you who are called to be single, same thing. He's saying that, okay, I, I've called you to be single, so what? So you could spend more time and energy living out the Great Commission in your life. That you could spend time learning and living by my word. And that you would love God and love people. You know? You know, parents, what do you think God is praying, Jesus is praying for you? You know, Jesus is praying for you every single day. I know sometimes, you know, parenting isn't easy. It's not. But Jesus is praying for you. And what's he praying for you? He's praying that your children would be able to grow up and live out the Great Commission, that they would live out that Great Commission in their schools, that they would tell people about Jesus, Right? And that they would be making disciples. And that your children would grow up learning God's word. And to be able to live by it. And that they would be able to love God and love others. That's what his prayer for you is as parents. Not that your children become straight A students. Thank God because I was put on academic probation in college. I was about ready to be kicked out of college because my grades were so low. You know, that may, I mean, if my prayers were paying for, if my parents were praying for that, it'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, what's, go, what's going on with my par- parents' prayer life, you know? But of course, my mom knew me, and I don't think she ever prayed that I got straight A's, because she knew that even with God's help, that was not a possibility, <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, those of you who are retired, God is, Jesus is praying for you every single day. And what's he praying for you? He's saying, now you've got an extra 40 hours a week. Now you have more time to what? Go make disciples, to teach people, to teach the next generation all that Jesus commanded us to do. Jesus has given you more time to learn about God's word, to live by it, and teach others what you have learned from it. And he's also given you more time to love God and love others. No matter what stage you are in, this is what Jesus is praying for you. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus is praying for you. You know, living life isn't easy, right? And we're trying to create a uh, culture of discipleship, and I get it. It's not easy. It's not easy trying to raise your kids in the faith. It's not easy trying to be in a relationship, but living in the faith when you're young and all of these hormones are going left and right, you know. It's not easy. It's not easy trying to find a career that, oh, God, you've gifted, gifted me in this, but, oh, my gosh, look at the salary. How am I going to make it? I want to be this. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy. 
But you know what? Jesus is at the right hand praying for you every single day. He's interceding for you because he knows what's best for each one of us. But he also has given you people to help you along the way. Ephesians four eleven through 12, and this isn't in there, so just write this down. So Christ gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the te- pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that's why he gave you the pastoral or the staff, is to help equip you. So you don't have to know how to do it That's why we're here to help you. We're not here to do your work for you, okay? But we're here to equip you. And finally, uh, in verse 24, it says, Father, I want those who who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus is praying that believers will one day get to see Jesus face to face in all of his glory. First uh, Corinthians 3.12 says, and we're going to end in this, for now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Jesus is praying for us that one day we will be able to see him in glory. And this is why people who pass away You know, when they close their eyes here on earth and they open their eyes in heaven, I believe the first face they're going to see is Jesus in all of his glory. And what a wonderful, wonderful event and experience that will be. But doesn't this, I hope this changes the way you view God. I hope you see that God is for you all the time. He's not against you. Two of the three members of the Trinity are interceding for you, who are praying for you every second of the day. And God, who's the father and the author of everything, declared you not guilty and says you're not going to be condemned ever. So I hope that this whole series has really encouraged you, but more, made you want to love God even more for how he blesses each one of us. So what's our weekly challenge? I want us to read Romans 8, 34 and John 17 this week. And I want you to take a look at your prayer life. Analyze your prayer life. How does your prayer life align with what Jesus is praying for you? Jesus is interceding for you. But these are the things in John 17. He's praying for you. How does your prayer life align with that? And then adjust your prayers to pray for what Jesus is praying for you. Okay, just do that. It's not going to be easy. It's hard because we always say, oh God, could you just please um, be with me today? Please be with my health. Or God, please be with so-and-so. But what are the things that Jesus is praying for? Those aren't bad things because, you know, the Bible tells us to bring our, let our um, requests be known to God. But let's start praying in alignment, whether you're praying for your children, whether you're praying for your spouse, whether you're praying for yourself. Try to pray along the lines of what Jesus is praying for us. Worship team, would you please come forward? 
Gracious Heavenly Father, I just, oh, I've just so much enjoyed studying Romans 8 for this sermon series. And Father, thank you so much that just in this one chapter, there are so many blessings that you have promised to all believers. And Father, I pray that each person here would readjust their view of you if their view of you is not in line with Scripture. Father, I know that there are some here who hear these condemning voices in their head. Father, I pray that they would believe your word, your promises, and not these false messages or these lies that are bouncing around inside their head. And as, you know, Pastor Nathan, you know, plays in the background, there are some of you who, despite what you read in Scripture, you might think that, you know, God isn't for you. That somehow you're a spiritual reject or a spiritual loser. That is so far from the truth. You will never, ever see that in Scripture. So right now, I want you to focus, for those of you who are thinking about that, that Jesus is right now praying for you. He's praying that you will understand the truth, God's truth, that if he is for you, (laughs) who could be against you? He has declared you not guilty for all time. He has forgiven you all of your sins, both now and forever. So just focus on that and ask God to change your view of who he is. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we live through life, go through life, Lord, we know it's filled with struggles, it's filled with pain, it's filled with unfulfilled dreams, it's filled with failures. And sometimes, Father, those things get us down. And we wonder how we could live the spiritual life, how we could live as your children. But Lord, I thank you so much that your son, Jesus Christ, is at the right, your right hand who is interceding for us on our behalf every second of the day and will not stop until we see him face to face in heaven. Father, let us know that we are not alone, that you are for us, that your Holy Spirit is praying for us because we in all of our... Uh, drawbacks. Man, we don't even know what to pray for. But I thank you that you know what's best for us. And your Holy Spirit is praying for us every single day. Father, let all of us know that we are not alone. That you made a promise to us. And your word is truth. So everything that we see in Romans 8 is absolutely true and will never change. Father, may we find comfort in your word. 
And Father, may we live by your word so that we might bring glory to you. In your son's name we pray, amen.